0: Good morning, my friends. Welcome today to Morning Glory. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. I'm so glad that you're here today joining me on our midweek Bible study. Now today, let's talk about some secret things, some secrets to getting prayers answered. I'm going to share a story from the Bible, but I believe as we examine the story in closer context, you can begin to get a better understanding of of why some prayers are moved to the front by the angels, or maybe we could say they're expedited like overnight delivery. Well, get ready. I believe this message will be a blessing to you in this area of receiving answered prayers. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We're going to be glad and rejoice in you all day long. Father, we thank you for the great things that you're doing. In our lives, we just thank you for your goodness. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate your word, O God. Give us understanding, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And we thank you. And Father, let us make application of it in our prayer life. And we thank you that we will, in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Now, let's take our Bibles and jump over to First Chronicles chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 9. We're going to look at secrets to answered prayer. And I want us to, once again, look at the life of Jabez. Now, a couple of years ago, we discussed the subject of this very unusual man. And quite an amazing person, actually. And I want us to dig deeper today and take a closer look at his his life, put him under the microscope spiritually, so to uh, see. And I believe that as we examine his life, we'll see some very interesting points that will help us with prayer. Verse 9, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. That leaves us immediately with the big question, why? Why was he more honorable? Well, we're going to find out. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. The name Jabez actually means pain. So she bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Now, I want us to get a better understanding of who this man was so that we can understand how this type of prayer was answered. Now, there's very little insight in the Bible uh, concerning Jabez, but let's go back just uh, two chapters to 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 2 and look at verse 55. And we're going to read further information here and the families of the scribes. Now that's very important. So these are scribal families. The scribes were the ones that wrote out the word of God and they had to have utmost precision and accuracy. And they would also be the ones that were some of the most highly educated among the Israelites. And the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez. Ah, there's that name, but here it's recognized as a as a town or dwelling place. And the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez were the Tirathites, and the Shimeathites, and the Succothites. These were the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of the house of Rechab very, very interesting. Now, this is not surprising, but the rabbis teach that the place Jabez, this is a place, it's actually named after Jabez, the person that we read about here in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, just a couple of minutes ago. So this place, Jabez, the rabbis teach in the in the history of the Jewish people, that this place, this town, which is a special type of town—remember, there's a lot of scribes living here—this place is actually named after the man Jabez himself. So, it's it's interesting. I I, I was really digging into this because verse nine. Uh, says now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. But verse 9, introducing us into the life of this man named Jabez, it doesn't give us any kind of like uh, intro. <laughs> we have an introduction of him, but there's no identification or no uh, historical bio that we have about him. Therefore, this in scripture indicates that he was someone that the readers of this time era would have been well acquainted with. So they didn't need like a chapter bio on him. This was somebody during this time that all the Jewish people, they knew about the legacy of this man named Jabez. So I think in order to dig deeper and find out why his prayer was answered we need to also understand the context of who the readers were during this time in which the books originally one book but the books that we know as first and second chronicles were written now in Jewish history the rabbis also teach that the person that wrote first and second chronicles was Ezra himself and that makes a lot of sense. There's very few people who would have uh, uh, possibly been a candidate to have been the author inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, but it does appear that Ezra was the man that wrote the book that we know as the Chronicles. Now, in this setting, the Jews, they've just returned from their 70 years of captivity in Babylon, and they came uh, with three primary waves as they were being expatriated back into the land. But you know what? When they came back after 70 years, it was so different than what it was before they went into captivity. The first thing that they would now recognize, of course, upon coming back is there. there's no longer a Hebrew king. Uh, there is no king at all. As a matter of fact, there's a There's a Persian governor that is ruling over the area. So the kingship of Israel has been completely done away with. There's also no temple. And this was major. The temple of Solomon had been completely destroyed. So they're coming back. There's no king and there's no temple. Also, we have a real problem. There's no security. And so Nehemiah has to go to work building a wall around Jerusalem because there's not one. So the wall eventually does go up and these gates are put there and it's it's secured and now they were they're going to finally have some security. But there was a season there where I mean everything's raw. Everything has been destroyed. There's stones on top of stones, there's wood that has been burned. It's just a big mess and there's no security. So they have to start from, we can't even really say ground zero because it's not level. It's a mess. So they have to deal with all the rubble and all of the mess and cleaning things up and, and beginning this monumental task of rebuilding an abandoned city. And they're coming back and it's very difficult, many challenges. Also, the Jews, they no longer dominated the region, but they're now on the defensive. This is not like it was during the days of David who pushed back the enemies. And then Solomon, the, the peaceful king, he comes on the scene and there's, there's no war because first of all, nobody's going to challenge him. He's just way too strong. So there's all of this safety and protection, but it's not like that at all now. Now Israel is very, very weak and uh, they're just coming back into the land and they're on the, the defensive. Also, these Jews coming back, to Jerusalem. Uh, Yes, they're being, they're being sent back with some uh, supplies and they're being sent back with money to fund the rebuilding work. But let's not uh, kid ourselves. There is no resemblance of the wealth that was once there when Solomon, when he was King multiplied silver and gold so much that they really didn't pay much attention to silver. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that'd be pretty nice. You know, even silver today, you get a couple of coins and get those added up. Uh, it's still got value today, but, uh, I mean, there was just phenomenal wealth, but that's long gone. And so there are no remnants of that at all. So, and I think the big clincher also, and this, this would be something that they all knew. Is that the Shekinah glory, or the presence of God that was once in the temple? Well, we know the temple is gone, but the the presence is now gone also. So they're facing great challenges, but they're in God's will, and God is going to help them move forward. Praise God. So everywhere they would be looking during this time, as they're reading uh, this genealogy, and as they're looking through the Life of David, uh, a, a very different book than what you would see in 2 Samuel or First and 2 Kings because many of David's blunders, they're never brought up in First or Second Chronicles. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles, we have extensive unveiling of the life of David and many of his mistakes, they're not mentioned. But you're looking really here at a focus on his spiritual life and his deep walk with God. And so some of the things that uh, are mentioned here are actually not mentioned in 1st or 2nd Kings or 2nd Samuel. So it's quite a fascinating book. And the Jews right now, during this time, they're reading through this, uh, you know, the Word of God written by Ezra, and they are seeing that, yes, we've had Moses And yes, we've had David. And yes, we have had Solomon. But the emphasis is still, is that the Messiah, though, he's not yet come. So the book is inspiring hope for the future because as glorious as it was, the Messiah still has not yet come. So they have great, great hope. Praise God. But everywhere that they could look around, they're seeing the signs of judgment they're seeing the signs of God's wrath that was poured out upon them. And what's the big takeaway when you read first and second Chronicles? Number one, obedience brings blessings. Obedience brings blessings. And number two, disobedience brings the judgment. It brings uh, the wrath of the Lord. When you, when you're in covenant with God, and you walk out of that and go over into these other areas of disobedience, it brings devastating consequences where the Lord pulls his hand back, and the enemy will come in and do awful things. And that's exactly what the enemy had done. And they can see that everywhere. Big glaring reminders. Obedience brings blessings. Our disobedience, this is what it got us into. Captivity, and even coming out of the captivity. These are the remaining, uh, uh, vestiges of disobedience. And we see all still all the destruction that was around us. Now, I think it is interesting that as we consider the Kings of Judah and the Kings of Israel, they're not even mentioned because of all of their sin, <laughs> but Judah did have some good Kings. Nevertheless, the Kings of Judah, They primarily had three major problems that led to the collapse of the kingdom. The number one problem uh, with the kings that would get into error is that they would not repent. And you had it even with Solomon, where they would get into sin, Solomon marrying all of these pagan women and going down to Egypt and getting horses and doing things God told him not to do. And he kept on doing it and he kept on practicing sin. And it led to devastating consequences. So number two would be personal sin that was practiced and it was not repented of. One of the other failures of the kings of Judah that brought judgment was false worship. Even if there was mixture, because many times they, it's not like they threw God out. They just wanted to bring all of the other idols in. And God is a jealous God. He will not tolerate any form of idolatry but they continued to push that and bringing up uh, all of these you know when solomon married all of those other wives that were pagans they worship false gods and so now now they start bringing all of their uh, mindsets and ideologies and the the pagan gods that they worship into the hebrew culture and it really began to cause a breakdown uh in the lives of those that once walked with God as all of this idolatry came into uh, the scene. And God allowed fierce judgment to come in because of that. And number three, wow, you really would see it when you read the lives of the kings is that they would put their trust in men instead of God. They would maybe start off humble and have some dramatic victories and see the hand of God move, but then so often they would get lifted up in pride and then they would turn away from God. They would begin to trust their own strength or their military ability. And the next thing you know, uh, they're either dead or uh, they've had another major setback or another major loss. So those are the three main problems that the kings of Judah encountered. And all of this is what the readers of the, of the book of Chronicles would have been aware of. Praise God. Now let's jump back a little bit to Jabez. Jabez here in this story, in this context, now remember the context, the Jews reading this, they have now come back from Babylonian captivity. They're back in the land and they're reading this and they're like, they're connecting <laughs> with this guy Jabez for sure. Because Jabez is a perfect representation of of the type of community that they have right there as they're rebuilding in Jerusalem. Again, his name means pain. And this is a whole people group that have been born out of pain and all of the difficulties of of pain and the hardships that they're going through. And now this is a people that are crying out for peace and rest. And they're like, i tell you what, we can connect with Jabez because... We used to be blessed when we were honoring God and obeying Torah. But when we got away from it, oh my goodness, we got wiped out. And so that's why Jabez and what he did and who he was is so important. Now, let's go back to the original question, which is a glaring question. Why was Jabez more honorable than his brethren? Praise God. The answer is because Jewish history reveals that Jabez was a Torah scholar who taught the Jews the law of God, which was what at that time? That's the instruction manual for life. You live by it. And if you disobey, uh, watch out. Trouble is on the way. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you obey the Lord and you obey His commandments, all of these blessings, verses 1 through 13, will come on you, and they're heavyweight blessings. But if you disobey the Torah and you disobey the commandments of God, Oh, well, starting in verse 14 and on down, you've got curses that will make your hair stand on top of your head. It's a mess. It is a nightmare mess if you walk away from God with eyes wide open because you're walking into a hell on earth with your eyes wide open. Wow. Praise the Lord. So Jabez in Jewish history was a noted Torah scholar who taught the Jews the law, God's instruction manual for life that's why, and that is solely why he was more honorable than his brethren. I don't know maybe what some of his other brethren were. Maybe one was a football coach. Maybe one was a nuclear scientist. I don't know. Well, Pastor Stephen, they can't help it if that's their career calling. No, that's totally fine. I understand that. If Jabez has a calling uh, into this area to teach, Then he needs to embrace that. But that doesn't mean that as a football coach, you can't have a Bible study with your players. Come on, come on. You see what I'm saying? So Jabez was all in into life, into the Torah, into the word of God, but others weren't. So maybe you're a nuclear scientist. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that's my field. Yes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, good. Do you ever, uh, talk to some of your other fellow scientists and uh, endeavor to share Christ with them or invite them to a Bible study. Or in other words, you try to engage them in a way where you reveal Jesus to them. Well, not really, Pastor Stephen, now that you mention it, I don't really do that, but I'm glad I'm saved. Well, that's good. But see, do you see the difference? This is why Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. It wasn't because he was taller. It wasn't because he was better looking. It wasn't because he could sing and had a beautiful voice. Those things are nice, whatever the case might be. We all come in different size shapes and packages. But the thing is that distinguished him was that he knew the value of this. And he knew that if you obey it, it's going to work. And if you disobey it, you're going to have a mess. The thing is, is that you don't just automatically know it. You have to be taught it. Look, we only know what we've been taught, <laughs> and that's why he was more honorable. He was a teacher of the Torah. Who? Praise the Lord! Glory to God! Well, Pastor Stephen, I'm a business owner. That's not really my thing. I spoke one time at a Christian university. The man sitting on the front row was so excited about my message and my preaching. He was really excited. And after the service was over, he said, Pastor Stephen, he said, I've got 44 employees full time, and I have led 43 of them to Christ. Now, stop and think about that. <laughs> that's like a Jabez. <laughs> and that's not solely, strictly a tour teacher, but that is a man who in his selective field, and he was he had a business sales team. Uh, He had that same heart, though. He's not just in this to make money. He's going to make money, all right. But he is there to uh, be a vessel that God can flow through. And he told me out of his 44 full-time employees, he has led all of them to the Lord except one. And now all 43 of them are praying for the one. Mm -mm. No pressure. This is not pressure. This is just love and you know, sharing the gospel and working and setting great examples through a full day of work, giving God your best, giving your job, your best effort. And, but you know, this, this is like the heart of a Jabez. And that's why honor is, is placed in a greater measure upon those who have an interest in God's interest. And back in the old Testament, that number one interest was the Torah. You better learn it. You better know it like the front and back of your hand, because that was your instruction manual for life. Praise God. Now, the Midrash uh, is a Jewish book. It's like a commentary. It's over a thousand years old. It's been collected over the centuries. It's actually about, uh, I think they first started compiling it about 1600 years ago. So it, it is an explanation of many of the oral traditions of the Jewish people, uh, the rabbis with their thoughts and their interpretations of scripture and so forth. Now, here's an interesting quote from the Midrash Tadhuma that says this, and this is the this is what the rabbis have known for many many uh, centuries. Jabez, this is the quote from the Midrash Tahuna. Jabez was one of the wise men who arrange public assemblies to publicly teach the reasoning of the Torah. In other words, he's trying to persuade the people publicly, hey, this is the reason we should obey what God said. Now remember again, who's reading this? The Jews that just came out of captivity. And they're like, man, (laughs) do we ever need a guy like this right now? (laughs) Well, he's already passed away. That's why they're reading the, the genealogy of him but they're thinking, man, this is, this is where it's at. Yeah. You better believe it. Obedience today is where it's at. Don't let anybody fool you thinking that you can just walk as a Christian in perpetual disobedience and willful sin over and over and not think there's going to be tremendously, uh, painful consequences to that. Mm -mm. Praise God. Praise God. So he was a great Torah teacher. Now the Yoma commentary says that there was actually a court that was instituted by Jabez to decide matters of the law. In rabbinic literature, he was also associated with teaching, this is important, in uh, in teaching the descendants of Jethro, who were the Kenites. Now, look at this again in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 55. As we slow this down now, and the picture begins to become more fully developed. And the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez were the Tirithites, the Shimeathites, and the Succothites. So these were the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of the house of Ricab. Now... The commentary, the Jewish commentary called the Sifri Zutta, says that Job, uh, excuse me, says that Jabez is portrayed as the man who invited the Kenites to learn with him in the house of study. Where was the house of study? There in Jabez. You know, it's a little bit like if you go to Europe today and you visit and you see different uh, villages today that are cities, and they used to not be cities. They used to be small communities, uh, and a lot of these cities or large towns end with the word S-T-E-R-Y, and uh, so the last ending of that town's name will be Stary. Anytime you see that in Europe, particularly in England, that is a 100% indicator that that city or the town that you're now looking at it with all these cars and roads and all these people living there, it was formed through a monastery. So a monastery would have been started by an abbot. Abbot is an old Aramaic word that means father. And he would found a monastery. Usually he would have a couple of monks go with him. They would found a monastery. The monastery would be what? the center of spiritual learning as well as educational learning. Don't forget that in the dark ages of medieval history, the number one source of knowledge on the planet was, without question, the monasteries. They were what we would call Today, the libraries, particularly the scientific journals and all of that other knowledge, they were the custodians of knowledge of the earth during that time. So while monasteries would flourish as a spiritual center, because every monastery would have uh, what we would call a church gathering. So a church would form around that monastery, and then the monks would do several things. One, they would have a school, or two, they would start back in those days what we would know as a crude hospital, okay? But they got better at medicine, and they led the world in all of these different areas. And sometimes they had multiple things going on. Well, they would have the church, and then they would have... Uh, you know, they would have a lot of land sometimes. Uh, it, often it was donated to them. And then they would have a school where you could learn to read and write, which was very rare back then. And the only ones that knew how to teach it, who could actually do it, were who? They were the monks. And so you had schools, and then you would have a hospital. Then you would have also like a repository of knowledge, what we would call a library. And it was the go-to place. So what, what happened over time? several decades. And then over the centuries, that little monastery would turn into a small town. The small town would grow larger and eventually grow and grow until it turned into what we now know as a city. (laughs) So today you have a lot of people living in these cities and they have no idea that maybe 800 or 1200 years ago, that was started by a couple of monks and uh, now today it's a city where you can see the same thing here. You have Jabez, who himself is a repository of Torah knowledge, and he is an extraordinary teacher. And people are like, hey, <laughs> I want to get around this. And also those that wanted to be trained in Torah would do what? They would get around him. So this became like a book type uh, Town. This became the place where the scribes would go because they esteemed the Torah. And uh, I tell you, it was just about learn the word, learn the word, learn the word of God. And they, they would have it completely memorized. The books that we know as the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they would all have it completely memorized. Now, of course, once you have it memorized, it's there's a lot of depth. So you're never going to be able... To unpack all of it. And so then now you go into the area of commentaries and discussions on what does this verse mean and what was God implying when he said that. And that uh, continues, uh, you know, ongoing study. But my friends, it is amazing what was taking place in this context before. You have to understand uh, his prayer in the light of all of this. Now, uh, some years back, Bruce Wilkinson wrote the very famous book. Some of you probably have it on your library shelf of your home. It's called The Prayer of Jabez. And that book, I think it has sold millions of copies. It was a very, uh, It's a very good book. Uh, but that kind of made this prayer famous. But what a lot of people didn't know, though, was actually who this man was. And so they, they, they read the prayer, and they, 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 then they pray all these prayers. But you have to, again, understand the mind of Jabez— and why he prayed what he prayed. Now, according to rabbinic literature, the commentaries of the Jews, and while oral tradition in some areas, uh, particularly when it gets over into uh, uh, areas of like mysticism, it starts going off the track. It goes off in the wrong field, and it gets off in anything Kabbalah and all that stuff that's just a bunch of baloney. That's people that um, are actually getting away from the Torah. I would call it new age. So all of that is a little bit like, uh, you know, take the good and spit out the sticks. And when you're a Christian and you love the Lord and you've got the word in you and you're filtering all of it also through the lens of the new Testament, then you can be selective and you could see the literal, the good And some of the good has stood up for thousands of years and and stories that sometimes, uh, that fill in the meat on the bones or some of the details that are, that are not in the Bible, but are Jewish oral tradition passed down for centuries and centuries. Sometimes uh, scholars said, Oh no, that can't be true. And we found out later that it was through archeological proof. So, uh, When they say this is what this uh, was referring to, we do have to give uh, uh, insight into studying that and taking uh, that to task to make sure that we dig into it to know. Now, this is what they say that this prayer means. I want to break it down slowly to you. This is what the rabbis teach this means. Now, remember who Jabez was, a great Torah teacher. And I love to teach the people, the word of God. So listen to this. Here's the prayer, and I'm going to I'm going to give you the prayer little by little, and I'm going to tell you what it means in the eyes of the rabbis. That you would bless me, indeed. This is understood to mean that you would bless me, indeed, means that God would supply ample provision so that Jabez can devote himself to studying the Torah, and he can give his full attention and time to Torah studies. He doesn't have to go out and work a part-time job. He doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to do that. Now, I know that Paul was a tent maker on the side. He did that on the side. But remember, Paul was also building and uh, working with the church from the, from the foundation and up. So it's not like a lot of people that were Gentiles that he is, you know, winning to the Lord. It's not like they had an understanding of kingdom dynamics or uh, biblical principles such as tithing and sowing and reaping. He's getting raw pagans saved. <laughs> so, but with the Jewish, with the Jewish uh, culture though, this understanding of Torah goes back thousands of years. Now, that you would bless me, indeed, that is a. Lifting up the prayer to God, God bless me financially, so I have the ability to study Torah full time. I'll never forget the day that I woke up in the morning to pray, like I normally would before going into work. And one day, the call finally came. I, I you know, and I'm just, I'm just gonna do my thing. I can't make God do anything. I, I can pray. I can tell him my heart, but only God can do certain things. But I remember, I'll never forget it. The day I woke up to go to work and God spoke to me in a way that you can't act like you didn't hear that. He spoke to me and said, today, when you go into work, turn in your two week notice, you're going into the ministry full time. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> woo, uh, wow. Okay. And I did. And I've uh, been running ever since. Praise God. But my friends, um, that has allowed me full time to devote myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that's what Jabez is saying. God bless me in a way. I love doing this and Lord, Lord bless me in a way where I can do it and not have to be distracted from it. Mm. Okay. So that you would bless me indeed. That's what that is referring to. He says, enlarge my border. That means give me many Bible students. Lord, I want to have a large area to teach your people, the Torah, your word, so they can obey you and walk in the blessing. He's saying, Lord, enlarge my border. Give me a whole bunch of students. <laughs> Woo, amen. How about a town full? Mm-mm. Amen. Uh, the Jewish commentary that's called the Sifri, The Sifri commentary says that the whole tribal clan of Jethro, who were the Kenites, as well as the Rechabites, they're the ones that would not have touch or do anything with wine or anything to do with the grape. They won't touch it because of their devotion to the Lord. So the whole tribal clan of Jethro, the Kenites, as well as the Rechabites, left their habitations near Jericho and went to Jabez to learn the Torah from him while wow. people emptied other towns to come to the town where he was at to learn Torah. Woo. Praise God. Amen. Lord, enlarge my border. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. He continues his prayer and that your hand might be with me. What does that mean? According to the rabbis. Lord, let your anointing of your spirit be upon me to preach and teach effectively to your people. What is the number one purpose of the anointing? Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. Okay, so the anointing is, is to preach. Trust me, if there is no anointing and somebody is, quote, preaching... Get the pillow out. Get ready for a big nap because you're about to have the boring, one of the most boring uh, talks you've ever heard. You might even have somebody down at the Lions Club outdo that person. They're, They're trying to preach and there's no anointing. The anointing makes all the difference in preaching and teaching. So he is saying that your hand might be with me. Oftentimes the hand would be a reference to the moving of the Holy Spirit upon someone's life. So he's saying that your hand might be with me, that that anointing to minister Torah to your people so they can see it and the light goes on. Oh, God, let your hand be with me. Mm. Can you see how in some of these scriptures, people have run off with other interpretations. They're asking all kinds of everything under the sun. (laughs) But again, don't forget who Jabez was and what he's thinking when he is praying this prayer based upon who he was, that you would work deliverance from evil. The rabbis teach that this is a cry from him, that God would give him friends that are just as passionate about the word of God as he is. Now, can you imagine that? Having friends that love God with passion like you do, want to talk with, with you about the scriptures like you do, and are into the things of God. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you right now, that's a blessed person. you got friends like that, that's a blessed person. Mm-hmm. Woo, praise God. Amen. That it may not pain me. This, according to the rabbis, that it may not pain me refers to the evil inclinations within the flesh that Jabez is asking that those, that those inclinations would not grow strong and distract him and thus prevent him from studying Torah. Because some of these guys pull out the oil lamp and study all night long. Mm -mm. So he's saying that it may not pain me. They actually say that's what that means. Mm, Praise God. You know, have you ever tried to study the Bible? And you sit down, and your flesh just drives you nuts. All it wants to do is watch TV. All it wants to do is go outside and run around, or this or that. Or the, I mean, your flesh will give you a million ideas, and you're like, God, all I'm doing is I'm just trying to study the Bible. What in the world is going on? <laughs> you might want to pray the prayer of Jabez. Mm-mm. Well, we have to ask ourselves a question. How, how could God say no to a prayer like this. He didn't. Wow. So God granted him what he requested. God granted him what he requested. So God wants you and I to frame our prayer request in a way that they connect, or we could say hook up, or maybe sync with God's interest. Oh, now, Pastor Stephen, I've got some requests to make, but I'm not really into that. I've got my own stuff cooking. Well, if God is not, his kingdom initiative is not involved in this, why should he be interested in all these requests that are being constantly called out? So you want to frame your prayer request so that those requests will link up or we could say sync or connect with God's kingdom interest, where the request is intertwined with what's on God's heart. And it's those requests that, wow, they they just get a green light. They get a green light. Sometimes not only are they answered, but they're answered so fast. You're like, wow, I wish all my prayers were like that. But see, oftentimes our prayers are not like that. So our prayers can be very selfish sometimes. And well, there is a place where God says, I'll give you the desires of your heart and uh, you know, ask what you will and so forth. What we ask and what we desire though should harmonize with, with God's will for us, but also should never distract us from our focus of wanting to serve the Lord and to give God our very best. Praise the Lord. Now, we want to frame the request properly in the right context where we have kingdom interest baked into the prayer. That's what Jabez did. He had requests, but the requests are all centering around something that is of primary interest on God's heart and God's agenda. And when we follow that pattern, we can also expect to see miraculous answers to prayer. Praise God. Amen. Now, a couple of verses we should examine very quickly as well that will also help us in our prayer request. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. All of these things that Jabez would teach on a regular basis and expound upon them and explain them to the people, all these things, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Very quickly, Galatians chapter five, Galatians five, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another for all the law. That's, that's just incredible. Not some of it, but all of it for For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And also the beautiful words of Jesus himself found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let me stop just for a moment. If you ever pray any prayer, and of course it would be unintentional. You probably wouldn't realize it while you're praying it. But if you ever pray any prayer that in some, that in some way or form Could grind with this verse, then that prayer is probably not going to get answered. Mm. Anything that would diminish even a speck of your love for God, if that prayer were answered, it's probably never going to be answered. So we need to filter our prayers through kingdom interest and the involvement of god in it and his agenda in it and also every prayer submit it to the underlying current of love your love relationship with god because the last thing you want is to pray something into your life and now it's become a weight and now prayer times a burden now you're now you don't want to go to bible study what kind of luggage did you pick up to make you backtrack like that. Wow. Be very careful what you pray about because the last thing you want is something that would actually diminish your devotion to the Lord. Praise God. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You got to be all in. It takes a lot of energy. (laughs) Your brain uses more energy than your body. It's the biggest consumer of your energy in your body. So you want your heart, your mind, your body, everything yielded to the Lord. The last thing you want is something thrown in there that's going to be a wrench in the gears and breaking that beautiful harmony and devotion. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that true? If you love your neighbor, you keep the Ten Commandments. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to go over there and steal their barbecue while they're on vacation, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because you wouldn't want anybody to do that to you. You wouldn't want your neighbor to do that to you. So you love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Glory to God. So like Jabez in the Old Testament, teaching the Torah, teaching all of the fine print and all of the instructions of the word of God, you come over into the new Testament and you see that love is the centerpiece. Now you still need to know the law. I have heard some preachers say, we don't even need to read the old Testament. That is somebody that's operating under the spirit of a false teacher. Maybe they didn't start out like that, but uh, there are there are spirits that work to deceive people. And we must walk in the light of the word because while we can say we walk in love and we want to walk in love, God's word actually defines what love is because there's a lot of liberal people that have a lot of ideas of what they think love is. And that's not the Bible definition of agape love, which is a selfless God first type of love. Praise God. So what does the law do? The law gives you the wisdom, to know good from evil, right from wrong. God said, this is okay. God said, this is bad. Don't do this. And so we can't come up with our own definition of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We have a lot of people that say, well, uh, I love God, but they don't keep his commandments and that they don't, uh, they don't do, uh, the, actually the things that God said don't do, they do do, and they celebrate it. Okay, so that, that's a warped understanding. And a lot of times that warped understanding comes from not embracing God's word that we would read in the law and get an understanding of truth of what is morally, ethically, and biblically correct in the eyes of God. The only way you can know that is go back and read the law, praise God. I mean, if you're a judge, you have to read the law books and all the law books are originating eventually from the Bible. You have to have a standard of what's right or what's wrong or else people start making up their own standards. And when that happens... Uh, when you get ungodly people, uh, it goes out the window really quick. So we must take a stand for truth in love, speaking the truth in love. My friends, I want you to think like Jabez, where you frame your prayer request in a way that you get what you want, but that request honors God and it sinks with his kingdom interest to the point it's like, If you frame the prayer right, it's like, how could God say no to that? (laughs) Right. So he got it. God did it for him. And I believe when you frame yours the correct way also with kingdom interest first, and it's done in love, wow. I think you're going to be in that category of those who get their prayers answered, just like Jabez. Amen. I think you're going to end in that same category where not only do you get your prayer answered, but now you know how to, uh, it's like riding the bike. Once you learn, you never forget. Now you know how to stick with these understandings of this is what God is looking for in a prayer that he can say yes to, release the angels, and get a quick delivery on it. Mm -mm. Praise God. Lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that as your people pray the prayer of Jabez, They will frame it in the same kingdom mindset that Jabez did, where it has your interest baked into it primarily. And Father God, it also has love baked into it. We thank you, Father. Give us understanding by your spirit in these ways. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen well, Pastor Stephen, that's a beautiful message. I've been asking God lately for a motorcycle. And I tell you what, the louder they make them, the more I like them. I want to have the loudest motorcycle in the state. Yeah, I'm asking God for that. I'm, I'm encouraged to pray now, Pastor Stephen. Ah, what do your neighbors think if you get that motorcycle and you start it up at 530 in the morning to go to work? Well, that is true now, Pastor Stephen. I am going to drive it to work every day, and I'm going to rip that thing up. Ah, you're going to wake up everybody on the street. Hmm. Well, what if everybody did that, and we all just have noise pollution 24-7, and this person goes to work right when you're going to sleep, and they start their motorcycle up right next to your bedroom window, and it makes the whole house shake. How do you think about that? Well, I wouldn't like that. Love does no harm to a neighbor. All of these things you begin to incorporate into the understanding of what you ask God for. Well, that's true, Pastor Stephen. I've always wanted a Lamborghini. I've always run a Ferrari. And I'm not saying God wouldn't answer that prayer. But I would say this. I've never in my life ever seen anybody drive any of those two vehicles I just mentioned ever at speed limit speeds. They're, they're either blowing the speed limit away or driving in a way that if they made a mistake, somebody, somebody's probably going to die along with them. I've never seen uh, people speed more than those with those ex- exotic type of cars. By the way, those that speed and go over the speed limit, what's that called? It's called a lawbreaker. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Filter. Filter everything through love, obedience, your witness as a Christian, and what you ask God for. Will it advance His kingdom or will it cause you to have a disinterest in His kingdom? Filter everything through the mindset of Jabez with your prayer request and you'll end up with the testimony like him. And God answered his prayer. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, those of you that are watching that don't know Christ, but he's tugging on your heart right now. Today can be your day for salvation. I want you to pray this prayer. Pray it from your heart to the Lord, and he'll hear you. And as you call upon him in this prayer, he'll save you from your sin. Just pray this right now. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life completely to you. Come into my heart. Wash my sin away with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. And Jesus, I give my heart to you completely. Save me now. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 And God has heard that prayer. Jesus has saved your precious soul. God bless you. I'm so glad that you prayed that prayer and that you now belong to the family of God. Amen. Now, let's together take Holy Communion. Just grab some unleavened bread. Amen. I use these little wafers that I order online. My wife just... Bought me a whole box of them, like a, like, I think like a thousand of them. (laughs) Amen. Okay. And grab some grape juice. Amen. And let's pray over it. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless this and set it apart as being holy. We thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the Lord's body, we thank you. We thank you for the formation of accurate prayer requests. We give you glory. We give you glory that we're all wrapped up, tangled up, and tied up in Jesus. And we don't want anything to interfere with that. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the Lord's body. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus with this mighty cleansing power. Father, if anybody has sinned against us, we forgive them and we bless them. We bless and we curse not. We bless them and we continue on with you. We thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus, washing all of our sin away. We thank you, Father, that we're heaven bound. Help us to take as many people as we can with us to heaven. We thank you, O God. Let your people, O God, be like Jabez, a teacher of your word, an explainer of spiritual things. Thank you, Father, a magnet for your kingdom. O God, we give you praise. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The Lord is moving right now. The Holy Spirit will help you greatly in your prayer life. Lean on the word as guidance and lean on him. You'll get it right every time. Thank you for watching and I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.